Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach, as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello everybody and the warmest of welcomes to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. We are now at episode 10 of the podcast, but we are also celebrating our one-year anniversary. We started the podcast in October 2019, and you're now hearing this in October 2020. We've only managed 10 episodes in a year, which is a bit below average and a bit below what I'd hoped for. But when you consider the 12 months that have just passed and everything that the world has been through in that time, I'm pleased that we've just been able to keep this going. And I'm hoping to be a little bit more consistent with this over the next 12 months, but I'm glad that we're here today and I have an opportunity to share with you a recent interview that I held with a good friend of mine, Glenn Avery. Glenn has been on quite a journey with public speaking over the last couple of years. It's something that he's watched and admired for his whole life. And now over the last couple of years, he's started the journey for himself and really tried to refine the craft and overcome his own anxieties with speaking. I've known him for a couple of years and he's a great guy. So I want to share with you the interview that I had with him recently all about perseverance and about how to keep sticking at something until the door finally opens for you. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed participating in it with Glenn. Good evening, everybody. Welcome wherever you're tuning in from and the warmest of welcomes to this episode of Speak with Simon. I am really pleased to be back and I'm really pleased to be talking to somebody that we were supposed to do this quite a while ago and for many reasons, personal, global and, and other things that have happened recently, we've, we've not had a chance to sit down until now, which um, it's built the anticipation nicely and I'm, I'm looking forward to spending this evening in the wonderful company of Mr. Glenn Avery. Glenn, how are you doing this evening? I'm very well, sir. I'm very well. Um, yes, I think you are totally on the ball there with the time scale. I think we were started discussing this late June. We're, we're now October, nearly near enough Halloween, I suppose, which is probably quite fitting, right? You know, right? But um, yeah, it's been trundling through my head for three or four months and yeah, quite humble to get the chance to finally get to uh, uh, put the point forward and have the chat and see how we go and see whether anybody is of any use to anybody as such going forward. Yeah, I've managed to get a really nice seal around my Halloween mask this year. Nobody can tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite pleased in that respect. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to having this conversation because I think you're you're one of those people I've known now for a couple of years and I've known in a in a public speaking capacity mostly. And you've been on something of, of quite an extraordinary journey with it. Just just give us a bit of your background. So tell, tell us about where you grew up and uh, maybe what, what you've done in terms of jobs or anything. And uh, what sort of got you to this point where you're at, where you're at now? Well, it'll be a long story. I think it'd take a little bit longer than an hour to kind of uh, fill that void. Um, but to kind of, uh, I don't know, a brief, brief outline. I'm 53 years of age. 
I was born and bred in Leeds. I've never really lived anywhere else by Leeds as such. Um, furthest, I'd never actually been to London until I was 50 years of age and sort of stepped foot on it as such. So I've kind of got real no real fascination for places other than I can look at it. Would I be interested? Yeah, I'd be interested. Would I be bothered going? No, I wouldn't be bothered going. So... I'm just born and bred in Leeds, as I say. Um, went to school, come out of school with, I'm going to say no qualifications, uh, not as in O-levels. At the time, we were doing O-levels, and I flunked all of mine. They were like some kind of um, secondary level of education that I got, and you got a certificate for that. So I was just under O-level, but not really. Mm. I never really got any O-levels. Um Come out of that really with only an interest in cars. Just had a fascination about cars. Um, my dad, he's, 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 my dad is a building trade, and he got me through contacts. He got me a chance of having a four-year apprenticeship as a in the roofing game. I thought I'm not interested in roofing. There's no point in going to do a job that you know what I mean. At that time, my, people, my parents were speaking to me about having a job for life. And I thought, I'm not climbing up and down roofs when I've got no real interest. So I kind of followed the passion, which was cars. 1983, uh, a recession again, no jobs. Um, Margaret Thatcher had introduced a, a scheme called a youth training scheme. So I basically started that, which was uh, in the Renault main dealership in Leeds for a 12-month period. Unfortunately, like as expected, once that finished, there was... They didn't set you one as such, you know what I mean? It was kind of a bit of a free labour for them as such. Mm-hmm. Um, I, then, I, then, I then progressed into, uh, got a job in a, an engine remanufacturing shop and was there for three or four years doing different aspects of light engineering. Same again, I wasn't sort of self-taught, but taught by the people that already worked there. Um Got into uh, one of the uh, sort of gentlemen that I ended up working with. He left the engine workshop sort of side and went to work you know, doing gearboxes for cars, transmission repairs. And I sort of followed suit. I followed him on. Um, and that's how I kind of ended up then basically setting up my own business, uh, which I've had for now 26 years. And so, yes, I've not had a super long extensive cv of jobs um probably three or four different places i've worked at before i've worked for myself but i've obviously worked for myself now most of my adult life Mm. so i don't have any um background as to corporate or anything like that because i've never never been involved with it i'm just um I suppose, to one of a better description, you sort of start as, uh, as the description goes as a bit of a grease monkey, and then you work your way up with the progression that you might want to have using your skill set and learning new skills and getting a bit deeper into skills. Mm. And it's just that, that that's kind of the work side of things um, up to date. Uh, from a family side, I've me and my wife have been together now 30 years this year. We've been married for 24. Uh, mostly good. 
um, we have between us, we've got five children. My wife were married previously, but uh, we've got five children between us, which now range from uh, the eldest, he's coming up to, uh, she'll be nearly 40 shortly. And then the youngest has just left university, he's 22. Um, without sort of digging deeper, or if you want to be, ask me some more direct questions. Um, and that's about the size of my life so far. Mm. No, it's, it's really interesting. And, and I suppose the one question I've got off the back of that is, you talked about working your way up from, from starting out in a job to then learning the skills that, that you needed to, to then run your own business. I suppose across that journey through your career to now having had your own business for, for the length of time, you say you had 26 years, what, what would you say is the, the big lesson that you've learned that you think other people need to learn in terms of where to start, how to work, how to run your own business? What, what have you learned from that experience? I think now in today's day and age, uh, starting up your own business now is far easier. I think it's far more acceptable and people as uh, as the generation of people as as the generations have moved on um, it seems to have got a lot easier people are a bit more acceptable to it I suppose even in my even in when I first started back in 94 the the the, the gentleman that I followed as I said the reason why I got went to started my own business is because he'd started his own business and I thought well if he can do it I'm sure I can do it. I might as well give it a try and see what happens. Whereas now, starting a business is second nature to a lot of people, and a lot of people are forced into self-employment, whether it be a micro-business, whether it be a self-employed type of um, subcontractor type of thing for whatever mannerism or whatever trade you're in, where you are basically invoicing your client direct for your services. So you're swapping time for money as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then that's sort of driven by employment. What's about? How can you succeed better on your own? How can you end up with better, um, a better lifestyle with less taxes? There's lots of pros and cons for different things. Um, but I think anybody, if you would, if somebody were to say, what is the uh, key uh insight that you need is perseverance because as, 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 as good as it can be good it can be bad as well as bad mm-hmm. um, um, nine I wouldn't say nine times out of ten but seven times out of ten it's bad um, and the three out of ten times will pull up for all the bad times that you got and then that kind of motivates you to go on to the next week and think learn a lesson there move forward don't do that again uh, and capitalise on it and use it uh, and the insight that you get from it to move forward and, uh, and, and, and get some success. I think that's the profound because I look around at the world today in terms of instant demand and, and downloads and having things quick. We, we're learning stick gratification and it becomes something that we get to a point where we don't want to wait for anything. And, and I think when, when you talk about things like relationships and career success and, and these things take time. And sometimes I think we're coming now across a generation of people that don't want to wait for that kind of success. And it almost puts a, 
an emotional and psychological barrier between you and success when you're used to not waiting for stuff and then realizing you have to be persevering and, and work for things. Um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think I have to agree with that. If you have like likes of a mobile phone, which most people have, you can get an answer or you can get a feel good factor by snooping about on internet to see what somebody else's life is, what's, what's happening in their life. Mm. And it spoke about, not just by me and you here tonight, it spoke about all the time, uh, depending on what generation you're in, where people um, see somebody else having a good time and then automatically blame their own, start picking on their own weaknesses as to why they haven't got these things. And most people get a little bit, and I suppose I were guilty of it when I was younger, we get carried away by uh, a perception of uh, material things and their strength. Mm. And the real strength isn't in material things. The real strength is in success of uh, how you feel, how you are going about what you're doing. What does it do to you at the end of the day? How do you feel? Because if you don't actually feel like you're getting anything for it, it's perhaps not really what to be doing. I mean, you, you have, I don't, you know, you have to have money. Uh, you have to have a business that makes money. Otherwise, you might as well have a job. Um, you may as well have a job. And this is not derogatory or anything. But if if a business doesn't work, then a job working for somebody else is a better is a better option because you're only going mm-hmm. one way, and that's down. So you might as well try and, as I would say, stop the rot and uh, proceed into, you know, just having a job or, or change career and try something else. That's not obviously working for whatever reason. It fundamentally doesn't always have to be the person. It doesn't have to be, it's just circumstances, luck, fate. You, we've all got different analogies of what we think it is or what we think it isn't. Um, but, it, but it is what it is and it either works or it doesn't work. Well, yeah, and, and there's no reason to say it might not work in the future. It might just be the wrong time. Um, and and yeah, I know some yeah. people that have tried something, it hasn't worked. They've, they've waited a few years, tried something else, and then that's worked. And you just need the right set of circumstances. But, yeah, just because it doesn't work once, it doesn't mean it'll never work. And that's partly where perseverance comes in, I suppose. Um, mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and that sort of leads us on nicely to, to the main topic I want to broach with you which is this idea of, of public speaking and communication because this is something that takes an immense amount of perseverance and like a lot of other things there is no shortcut and no fast track to overcoming the a fear of it or becoming competent in it and you've struck me over the last couple of years that I've known you as somebody that is relentlessly persevere has perseverance and you have gone from a point where I know that you were quite anxious and quite concerned about your own perception your own abilities to a point where you can hold an audience really well um, so I, w- I want to dig into that with you if, if I can because I think this is part of your life that I think a lot of people will acknowledge and appreciate without necessarily knowing what you know now so mm-hmm. first question then is is at what point did you come to realise that this was something that you were struggling with? When, when did you first learn that, that public speaking was something you found really challenging? Well, as I just previously explained, I wasn't from a corporate background, so I didn't really have any public speaking to do as such. Mm. Um, the, 
first sort of difficulties I had of having conversations with people would be direct with customers, mm-hmm. where uh, if you're if you kind of if you go into sales, you are straight away thrown in at the deep end, and you have to. I go back, as I say, when I first started in business, there wasn't email as such email was around but very very few people had any kind of computers so it didn't really exist as such there was no mobile phones it was uh, picking up the landline and discussing problems with clients about the cars Mm -hmm. now i went to work for a company which um basically we our uh, we had a basic wage plus a commission for bonus and your bonus were basically made up of you uh, doing a, a sort of health check on a vehicle and then writing all the problems down, getting some prices together, and then approaching the customer and asking them, did they want this work doing? Now, when I first started that, I would have been about 21, 22, and I was really, really, I was petrified. I could not, I found it really, really hard to get into the concept of, of cold calling, of ringing somebody mm-hmm. with, um, hello, your bill is X amount, but really, if we do all this other work, it's four times as much. And I kind of, you get a lot of um, negative feedback, to one of a better description, because people, being people, just the same as if you run me now, are dubious about what you're saying. They're dubious about what the action is and they're dubious about where this is leading to. And this wasn't explained to me when I dropped my car off. Um, but the management sort of worked it worked it out that if you could basically upsell, as they say nowadays, then you in theory were making your own wages because there was a limit in your bonus. And when you've got this limit in bonus, when you actually worked out how much money that extra that you'd sort of got from it for your bonus, when you actually grossed that figure, um, you realised you were actually making your own wages. And if you had four or five people in a workshop all making their own wages week in, week out, you basically weren't there for nothing. It didn't cost them anything to have you employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my initial... Uh, learning curve which you eventually get quite good at you eventually get um, used to approaching people of all walks of life uh, about every kind of situation and then then that's become enhanced now working for myself because the book stops at me so if I've got good news it's good news and if I've got bad news it's bad news I've got to give you and I've had to give people some bad, bad news. Do you know what I mean? I've had, I've had issues which well beyond my control. Um, vehicle stolen. And I've had to basically ring the client up and say, hello, sir. Um, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is the police found it, but the bad news is it got stolen and it's wrecked. Do you know what I mean? And it's it just grows from that then. My confidence sort of grew from that. I mean, a lot of that's over the phone. So it's a bit like the text messages of up today. You can hide your real feelings behind the phone. Um, they're not all apparent in your voice. 
Um, you would be looking for people's body language face to face to see did they really care about what they were saying to you or was this honest or was this a lie or um, and so that was my sort of public speaking as a as, as a um, either a virtue or a can't get the other word that you actually use, but it was either good for you or bad for you, depending on what the predicament was. And my actual public speaking was just something in the background that I'd envisaged doing at some stage. I'd sort of, in this unglorified word, I'd sort of seen myself in um, daydreams, speaking to people in, you know, I, I think I think it would have been of when you went to see a few rock concerts, you were envious that it wasn't you that was up on the stage that was actually getting the glory and was on the power trip as such. Mm. And I suppose mm. off the back of that, that then I thought, when I used to see people speak, I used to think, wow, well, that's incredible to be able to do that. And I just had a, I just had a lot of uh, respect for it and a lot of... Uh, which is something that... Same again, it just seemed to be in my subconscious and like something trying to get out. And then as I come to start to learn and approach it, then I'm, I'm kind of so glad I did because it's, it's brought on, um, opened lots of other doors for me in um, moving forward with, with, with different clients and, and different other business ideas. And it just gives you just gives you a bit more uh, strength moving forward. Well, I'm really glad you've told me all that because, you know, that, that gives me a little bit more context as to why we met a couple of years ago when you, when you first started wanting to improve your, your speaking skills. And it's nice to hear that you think they've, they've translated back into what you're trying to do out, outside. When you first started trying to, to stand up and speak in front of groups of people, because you say you spent most of your career not doing that and sort of wishing you could and thinking about it, how did the reality of trying to stand up and speak in front of people match up or not match up with what you'd envisage? What, what sort of barriers did you, did you come across when you started? Uh, my real barriers and still are to this day uh, uh, is the nervous anxiousness that you think yeah I'll just do that uh, like when I first come to the speaking club um, the guys that were there that met me were nice and friendly and I got put forward the first time I were in and I come out of straight out of the box my usual bravado let's have a go this this can't be that hard what's all the big deal why is everybody making such a big deal of it to get to front to realise that in the heat of the moment when the adrenaline's flowing you're not really that bothered but as you start to finish and then you go to sit down you can feel the anxiety just subsiding and, and the relief of that it's over and that that sort of minute or two minutes is finished mm. and it, it's I obviously didn't realise how hard I wouldn't say hard as in it's, it's, it's impossible to do but it's harder than what you think but it's not as scary as what you should think mm. when you actually get mm. doing it it is it brings me a lot of fun and enjoyment now and I get a lot from it um, both mentally uh, 
I would say physically, but yeah, physically, because you actually get get to sort of act the part as well in, in you know, pre-COVID um, when we were doing live meetings. Um, and it just appeals to me. It's just something that I feel doesn't take a right lot of money. It doesn't take, I suppose, time is the key and the perseverance and the practice. But if you uh, keep practicing and keep, keep challenging yourself, it does reward you very quickly in, in a time scale. I mean, yes, you could probably do this. What's taken me to do two years, I could have done in a year. But you have to also remember that when you're in a club environment, you have to share your time with everybody in the club. And as you're well aware, it's quite a big club. If there were three or four people, we'd be able to just speak every week, do a speech every week, if you could write one for yourself. Uh, and you probably, yeah, you tick out boxes. But I don't think you get the depth I don't think you'd be able to pick, pick up the golden nuggets off the other speakers that you can use in your own speeches. And it just helps you grow without you knowing you can grow. And I had a, a, a complex from an early age that I wasn't good enough, that I wouldn't be able to do anything like this. And people still look at me in amazement when I tell them that that's what I like to do as my hobby public speaking what would you want to do that for well why would anybody want to do anything other than you, you get a lot of fun out of it you get a lot of confidence out of it and it makes you feel good it makes me feel good mm. i don't know yeah. what else to say well no I, th- I think you're spot on and, and there are so many circumstances in life where you're going to have to talk to somebody whether it's it, it's over the phone, whether it's in person or whether it's now over technology, because, you know, we're relying on this a lot more than we used to. And and I'll confess, speaking online, I think is more difficult. Um, trying to do a podcast, I think is quite difficult. I can speak to a group of people now because I, I train myself to overcome a fear and do it. But as soon as you change the variables, you, you get a new, a new type of anxiety. And it's about conquering those. And, and I think you're absolutely right that so many of us have those complexes about I'm not good enough, I, I don't know what to do. And and we allow that to govern the decision-making rather than the belief that we can learn how to do it. Um, and, and I think you're spot on with your assessment of, you know, that perseverance, keeping at it and realising that it's not as scary as, as you think it is. You can have a go at it. It's a bit of fun. And yes, eventually you do get that buzz from it and, and you can have those benefits like you mentioned you get professional benefits out of it with your clients but in your personal relationships as well and, and in other areas of life that that boost of confidence uh, can make a massive a massive difference and certainly has done for me and I, I can tell from the last couple of years it has done for you as well so let's say there are people out there listening to this and i'm sure there probably are who are probably two years behind you so they realise they want to speak in public, but they're a bit scared to do it and they don't really know how to start or what to expect. What advice would you give to somebody now based on where you were two years ago? I think if I were to try and sum it up in a sentence, I would uh, tell somebody to treat uh, public speaking um, like would be the best uh, best way to put this. Don't try, don't try to envisage that you 
you have to become a, a public speaker at the end of the day. And that's the whole, all the goal is to get yourself up on, on the stage and be public speaking. This, that, that, there's certain people that will, will persevere to get there and there's certain people under certain circumstances which will allow people to get there or not get there. But it's about the journey. And the journey is, is, is first and foremost, is helping you with your self-esteem. And then your self-esteem then helps you with your confidence. And as your confidence grows, you will push your boundaries a little bit further. And as you push your boundaries a little bit further, before you know it, you are taking on um, more speeches, from little small speeches to slightly larger speeches, and then push yourself again and then take on some quite uh, stronger parts to one of a better description. But if you go into it thinking that you're expected to be uh, professionally polished after a few months, I don't think that, even if you practised every day, I don't think you'd get that. It, it's, it's a subconscious kind of learning that you get, that you pick things up, you forget about it, or you think your conscious brain forgets about it, but it's floated into your subconscious. And then when you are speaking, it has a tendency just to come up on its own, or float down whichever way you want to look at it, and allow you to speak the way you want to speak. And as a, to regress again, or to go back over old uh, comments, it allows you to be conscious about what you're actually speaking about before you say it because you're trying to think of the next sentence, which is probably, if you're watching this, when you're watching me, it's probably waiting for the next sentence to fall down, is exactly what happens. But it allows you to think more about what you say, how you're going to say it, what type of language you're going to use per, per se, per situation that you're in and what you find yourself having to do, what you have to deal with, whether that's professional, business, domestic, family, the cat, the dog type of thing. It will allow you to be able to speak to different people in different time zones, I suppose, really, and different situations of their life appropriately is about the best way I could summarise what public speaking has done for me. Uh, and what strength it's given me in, I suppose, parts of um, my makeup that I didn't really understand, that I hadn't really analysed. I hadn't looked at it in any depth. I'd just gone around speaking to people willy-nilly. Mm -hmm. And yet in two years of uh, being interested in it and sort of pursuing it and uh, persevering with it, it's allowed me to have greater conversations with less words, more strength, more power, uh, more confidence, really. Mm. I think that's such an important point that when you really do focus on what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, you can leave more of an impression with fewer words. Uh, I've come to realise over the last few years how much energy and, and how many words I used to waste saying things that just didn't matter, <laughs> just had no consequences. And, and now I've got to a point where I think if I am only given five minutes 
or three minutes? What can I say in those five minutes or three minutes that's yep. going to give people something to think about? But what I really liked about what you said was, was the bit about the expectation. And this was what kept me frightened of speaking for so long was the idea that it had to be perfect. And I was always searching for the, the best turn of phrase, the best word. <clears throat> and, and I get to a point where I'd put so much pressure on myself that one, it didn't sound like me because I was always looking for something above what I was normally capable of. And two, when I sat down, I knew I hadn't met my own expectations and I used to beat myself up for ages about it. And that stopped me from getting my point across and, and from sharing what I really felt I needed to share. It's taken me probably seven years to get to a point now where I think it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be the best reflection of you at that given well, moment. Yeah, definitely. Connect with it. I so what's the, next? Uh, no, I think what I was just, I was actually just trying to say earlier is what it's personally done with me is it's allowed me to respond rather than react. I was very guilty of reacting to every conversation Mm. Um, with a, a perception that the world was against me. Mm. And even when I reflect even back five, ten years, that's the way I kind of manage my life, where I'd be mm. um, reactive. More times I would be responsive, where now I'm possibly uh, more responsive than what I have reactive. Obviously, people, there are certain situations where you cannot help but instantly react but then within the first few seconds of reacting, I'm also a lot more in control than I'd be able to respond with the appropriate language for where I am. Mm. I, I think that's a really good little phrase to keep hold of, be responsive, not reactive, because 99% of the time, the reactive thing to do is not the right thing to do. No, don't, don't always work, does it? No, no, and it, and it can sometimes cost you um, an awful lot. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you this. I had, I had a conversation because I, I, you know, I teach uh, in, in a school uh, some of the time, and uh, I had a, a boy on the front row of my classes the other day when uh, he got a little bit upset with somebody behind him and reacted and turned around and said some words that you should not say in certain <laughs> environments, and I heard him. And we, we had a conversation about it at the uh, time when he came back to me. I, I had to, to leave the, the class and he came back at the end and he, he came back and he said, I just want to say that I'm sorry for the language that I used. And I thought it was a really big, big statement for a, for a 14, 15 year old to make. He apologised to me, looked me in the eye and he said, I was sorry. And I thought that was really good of him. But I, I remember what I said to him at the time, which was at the moment that choice of language has cost you some time in the room and an hour's detention that's what you've got for it because that's what we have to do here for that language but I, I was very clear and I said to him the reason I've, I've called you on it and I've given you that now is because I want you to realize that 10 years from now that kind of reaction could cost you a heck of a lot more it could cost Definitely. you a relationship it could cost you a job it could cost you trust any number of things and uh, I think he understood but it's, it's a lesson that I, I'm still learning and, and all of us are still learning, which is that when it comes to it, the reactive thing, and we're seeing this now with, with the situation that we're in and the way people are reacting to it is social media, the news, politics, the reactive solution is not 
No, it's the right one. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Uh, I mean, a reflection there, just as you've said there, I've I've caused. Uh, I'm sorry to say caused, but being reactive hasn't helped situations in in, in the points you were just making there in relationships, um, in work um, environments. It just it just be the state that we're in that people can't see beyond our eyes. People don't, you know, you, you see, just as we started this conversation as you don't really know me, I don't really know you, but yet we've been socialising uh, for a couple of years um, through through the speaking club as such. And luckily that we don't get a lot of reactive sort of behaviour there. So we're not really... Um, fully converse how people are going to behave there. I mean, you know, it's not acceptable anyway as grown-ups. But I suppose that there is possibly quite, sometimes there can be tensions there that we can't see. We don't know what people are thinking. But it it doesn't, I'm not saying responding has all the answers, but it definitely works right that minute and give you a chance to reflect and go away and think about it a little bit more to only realise it's not really that important to you what somebody thought right that minute about something that perhaps you were doing or not doing um, and, and, and not to not, not to get too uh, engrossed with actually what's going on. And just the same there as that young lad there, if he keeps going on with that kind of language, he's just going to go down the wrong road and then find it very hard to get back on his feet later on in life. Uh just by just by a, a, a bad a bad habit that he's picked up, and it's, it's, it's it was the same when I were at school, and it's generational, and I suffered with it a lot. So I can put my arms up quite, you know, to take responsibility for that, and and, and never, I've never had that behaviour, and I've had them behaviour problems, and I just don't get you know, I don't end up there. You just end up having to go back round the block and do it all again, but do it again properly. Mm. But I suppose the, the other angle from, from that situation that I think is really important to highlight is that when that, that young chap came back to me and he said, I want to apologise for what I said, I could tell that he meant it and he recognised that he'd done something wrong. And when I, when I explained to him why I was doing what I was doing, he completely sided with me and he said, yeah, I understand that has to happen and I understand what you're teaching me. And I'd, my relationship with that young man now is probably going to be better for that. Because we understand yeah, each other, definitely. he understands I'm there to help him, and he understands that I'm there to make sure that there are boundaries that, that people don't cross. And I think one, of, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I think one of the big issues we've got in the world at the moment is that we've created a culture for ourselves where people can't make honest mistakes anymore. To say the mm. words "I'm sorry, I got that wrong" is is almost like a death sentence. You know, your job's on the line. And I know the stakes are high in some cases, and I fully understand that. But it's almost like now to turn around and offer a sincere apology and say, I'm sorry, I didn't have all the information at the time. I made the wrong decision. I wish I could change it, but I can't. I can just learn. I don't think we can do that anymore. I think the world's no, too social media, certainly. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's Come back, go back over... Uh, Past, past part of this conversation as well in business there where we talk about persevere I talk about perseverance uh, taking responsibility for yourself is 
is, is another key where you have to be able to put your hands up, whether that be at work, whether that be at home. If you think you messed up, if you think you were a nuisance, you have to put your hands up because it's the only way that you're going to get better. Because if you don't recognise that you, you're getting it wrong and getting it wrong, getting it wrong, then you'll eventually get sick of apologising when you think, I need to change something here because I'm starting to lose my self-worth apologising for the same aspects time after time after time. Yeah. And, the, and the, the lessons that we have to live uh, just, just, just growing up. Mm. Um, I, a gentleman that I know, he, he said to me, "We really should be we should be alive for about five hundred years." And I said, "How do you make what, 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 what's your concept there? What's your thought process there?" He says, "Well, we are alive for let's just say we're alive for 75, 80 years." He said, "The first twenty years, you can say you're definitely wet behind ears. You are still a child." And then you came 21 and some, so you're a grown-up now. What well, instantaneously overnight you become a grown-up. You're probably not even a grown-up until you're about 30-ish. And then when you become to go about 30, you think, well, I need to start my own business because I need some money now. I, I really need to get some serious money now so I can enjoy and have some sort of commitment to my life. And then you work 10 years to so get to about 40, 45, maybe 15 years. And then you realise that you went down the wrong you went down the wrong path and you need to restructure your life again and start again. Now, bear in mind, you're sort of running out of time here as to how long it takes to learn new careers and, 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 and start new businesses and get them up and running where they're, they're sustainable. And then what happens to you is you just get fed up. He says, and then you spend another 10 years fed up and before you know it, you're 55, 60. And then you're looking back in, in regret, full of resentment as to how it were everybody else's fault that you didn't succeed or you didn't get what you want or didn't get what you planned out for. And then everybody said, well, well he, he was lucky he did that. Well, he was lucky because that happened for him. He was lucky that that happened for him. Whereas he said, if we were alive for 500 years, you could spend that first 100 years in your infant stage. He said, your second 100 years, you would spend researching what it is you were actually going to do. You would then spend 100 years running your business which become highly, highly successful and you would have the wealth then to spend the next 200 years in your sort of middle to old age doing exactly what you wanted to do, when you wanted to do it, with who you wanted to do it with before you passed away. Mm. And I thought that was a great analogy of how long we really should be alive, but we're not. It's just we're only, we've only got this tiny little window which when you say, oh, I'm going to be alive for 75 years, when you take out the key core structures, you've not got a right long time to get what it is you want to get out of life. You know, build the foundation. You've got to have the foundation before anything else will stick on top. So if you haven't built your foundation in that 10, 15-year window, it's very hard then to spend another 10, 15 years doing something else. So you're now 30 years down the line. You're really, really try and persevere and say it's best to hang on in there with you and, and keep your fuel going and the desire going and determination. So as you say, social media is not helping that side for the younger generation now. I mean, I, I, I look at my grandchildren now and think, I don't know what you guys are going to be doing. I honestly do not know what world you're going to be living in. No, I look at my two children sometimes who are five and two. 
And I just think, what world have I brought you into? <laughs> I worry for them at times because I just think I, I, I'll do the best I can for you, and I'll try and teach you what what I feel is right. But gosh, you've got you've got to navigate a world that even in the 15, 20 years since I was a kid, it's changed beyond all recognition. And I just think they're going to have they're going to have it cut out. Well, I think every generation thinks that because my dad does say to me, my dad's 78 and technology to him is like having two left feet. He has got no, I mean, I struggle with it because I don't have any interest in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it were, if I were a bit more interested in it and as I keep going now with these Zoom meetings, I had to, I had to get my son on phone because I couldn't get in through my email. I thought, oh no, he's, I'm going live in 10 minutes as such and I can't even get him on screen. I didn't have a clue. I had to phone him up and he had to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. But my dad mm-hmm. just thinks it's like gobbledygook as he says, it's just Chinese. His only description is just fly straight over the top of him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. even, a, even a text message was hard. My dad's even stopped sending them. He'll just phone you because that's the only thing he knows how to do with a phone is phone you and speak to you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just an ever-changing world and trying, trying to, like you say, learn how to respond to it rather than just react to it um, is one of the greatest greatest challenges. But I, I think what's really come come out in this conversation for me is the idea of you've got to persevere but you've got to persevere knowing that you've only got a window of time in which to do it and I think that's such a key point is that you haven't really got time to waste and and I think because you've only got a brief window that there's two main attitudes to it and you can quite see it in the out there in the world which is a lot of people are kind of I've got one shot so I'm going to do my best with it and take it seriously Mm. and you've got another set of people that say I've got one shot. I'm going to do everything and try everything, even if if it kills me. I mean, up up to each to their own. But I think you know when you see the news and and now those second group of people um, are sometimes the ones that are taking the lives of the first group um, because of their their behaviour. That I've I've struggled with that recently, especially being a teacher, because I see sometimes how the young generation treat it and sometimes the consequences of their actions they just they just don't know what they're doing to people sometimes um, i think a lot of it gets passed on doesn't it he gets passed on from i'm gonna i'm gonna blame parents because i'm a parent as well so i can blame you know we don't always get it right as parents but if what you put into your children definitely comes back out later as in, if you if you if you, if you treat if it's treated with uh, things are treated with complacency and a sort of negative attitude, then that then comes out in the child, whether they like it or not, or whether you know when they when they look back and think, well, what happened to them? Well, I think this complacency set in a long, long time ago, and that become a subconscious norm, and yeah. um, you know, I I, I too have. I've probably shown things to people that I shouldn't have shown, as in retrospect of bad habits and uh, attitudes that perhaps weren't the, they, they weren't the right calling every day. They weren't the right thing that I should have been doing or talking about. 
and I think that goes, as I say, back to my own self-esteem problems from a young age. Um, they just continue. Unless you address them, they'll just continue into your adulthood, into your middle age, into being a pensioner. They're just there unless you actually address them, try and iron them out, and then start again and try and try try and make the rest of your life a little bit better than what it was. Mm. Yeah, because sometimes those, and it's interesting because dealing with a lot of people in terms of and confidence issues and self esteem issues, sometimes it does it does get passed down from parents, but so many other influences that play, and I think now there are more even more influences that can that can affect it. Um, but yeah, I, I was laughing the other day with Laura about uh, a poem by Philip Larkin about parents and children. I mean, you might have read it, or if not, I'll send you it later, but I can't read it to you on here because there's some, there's some words in it that I shouldn't say, but it's very much down those lines and it, it does make for interesting reading. But yeah, I think the influences that create a lot of these confidence and self-esteem issues are, uh, they're increasing in number. And I think I, I see kids now that again are scared to talk to people and, and struggling to develop the skills they're going to need for employability. And because of the number of things out there that are, that are affecting their confidence. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and social media, I think is one of the worst ones. Um, either for mm. people that they know are getting on at them, but also for people posting their idealized lives that, that don't actually reflect reality. But, no. They're just, uh, they're just the fancy pictures of a holiday or in some fancy car. And then, and then, and then grown-ups do it as well. They go away then and believe that that's, that's total reality mm. when it's just a smokescreen, majority of it. It's just a smokescreen. It's just an ego. Just, the ego's getting fed and then your ego's looking at it thinking, that's what I should be doing. Then when you respond rather than re- react, you think, no, the reaction is buying into it, where the response really is just take a bit of a deeper look here. I'll have a look tomorrow. Oh, whew, it's gone. It's that holiday and that car and that big house. Well, what happened there? But but from a child's perspective, you'd just fall into that trap, hook, line and sinker. You would have no, no way of knowing what's the truth, what's not the truth. Yeah. It's been interesting. This I've I've got a few key messages I need to go and go and digest. But I suppose final question: Twelve months from now, what are you hoped for? Twelve months from now, mm. um, twelve months from now. Uh, well, I think if you're setting goals for yourself, like I've started doing now, 12 months from now, I'm trying to set up or I've set up another business um, in the property field, which I'm trying to promote. Which I'm trying to get going because I recognize that although I love the motor trade, I am getting too old to be on the tools as such, if you pardon the expression. And I need something that's not as demanding on me physically. Mm. And that's a key, one sort of avenue. Uh, secondly, I think if that didn't pan out just as I wanted it, I would ideally like to, uh, subject to what's actually going on in the world, I'd love a career public speaking. 
I absolutely love it. Now, I mean, in, in retrospective, perhaps I'm not the most creative person in writing my own my own um, speeches at the moment, but definitely standing in as some sort of stunt double for somebody that's supposed to be able to do a speech for a company or a, any kind of seminar that they do not feel confident. They've got nobody confident that they can do. Um, that you could stand up and say, well, right, okay, give me the, let me have, let me research what it is I'm going to be speaking about and give me the data and let me see if I can put a speech together for you. So whether that will happen in 12 months, I mean, that's kind of would be a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be a bigger picture because I think, and I don't mean this disrespect, disrespectful, I think age tends to, like an old, old bottles of wine, we tend to mellow a little bit people tend to buy into what older people say because they've got this life history, they've got their experience, they've got um, they've raised children, they've run businesses they've had car accidents, they've had insurance claims, they've kind of got a good um, understanding of what's actually going on in the world and it's that I think can come through, well I hope that comes through when I'm speaking to people, that their experiences reflect in how I speak, they're reflecting what I speak about. And yeah, I think I could see myself in me, definitely see myself in the old age, perambulating around on stages, talking about whatever needs to be talked about at the time. Mm. Uh, definitely, yeah. I, I'd, have, I'd take great joy getting out of bed, putting on a suit to go give a speech to people for an hour, two hours, or whatever it took to, to then leave, go wherever I were going, and then to send somebody an invoice. I think that would be an absolute fantastic job, a fantastic way to end my life. And I don't mean that nastily, but I mean in a, for, from a career perspective, um, I'm all up for freedom and I'm all up for uh, doing the least amount of work for the most amount of money. But um, perhaps public speaking is not the you know, the potential super um, financial thing that I perhaps maybe think, oh, there's some illusions that it is or it isn't. Mm. But I mean, fundamentally, Mm. if I were to do it on on, on the minimum wages, I'd still find it interesting and I'd still find, I think it were easy work. I can't think of anything easier than speaking. I can't think of anything easier to do from one minute to next than speaking and having conversations mm. and interacting mm. with other human beings. Especially when you feel like you've got, like you mentioned earlier, that life experience, that wisdom, that, that knowledge you can pass down to the people. Um, you know, it'd be a nice way to, to pay it forward if you like. And, you know, however lucrative or, or non-lucrative it is, uh, the money is just an indicator of the good that you're doing and, and what you're passing to other people uh, yeah I'm, I'm very much the same I, I enjoy the work that I do in schools teaching not particularly the, the paperwork and the marking side of it because that's quite heavy at times but I enjoy being in a classroom with a group of kids teaching them delivering something and seeing the light bulb go on that, that's the most rewarding part of my job is when, is when a kid comes up to the end and says I get that now thank you and, and whether that's with young people, whether that's with adults, or whether that's with, with just one person that you're coaching one-to-one, uh, seeing that light bulb go on and knowing that you helped to light it, I think is... is yeah, definitely. Unparalleled. Definitely. 
unparalleled. I can't, I can't ever imagine me doing a job where I don't work with people anymore because that is what drives me. Um, but the good thing is now we've got all that on video. So 12 months from now, we'll be able to sit down and say, well, how, how, how much closer? What happened? Yeah, yeah. I did a similar thing with Paul a few weeks ago when, when we had his interview and I said, 12 months from now, I'm going to sit you down and hold you to it and see see how it's gone. Um, but I've really enjoyed this. I mean, thank you for, for giving up your time and, and sharing with people. No Some of those principles are timeless and, and I hope that people listening will have uh, taken something away because I, I certainly have. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, uh, thank you for listening as such. I'm quite humbled to be here. Um, in a world where today uh, my young my young sons uh, well my youngest son is just he's he's managed to get himself a, a short term employment with his his physically his mentor um, in his mentor's company which is going to take him through to early spring next year which is quite surprising um, that these things are going to happen but he was laughing thinking that I I'm going to be on a podcast tonight. And that he's going to be able to hopefully watch it on YouTube and or listen to it on Spotify. And quite intrigued that he said, I'll be able to tell my friends, well, listen to my dad. He's on his podcast tonight with his uh, one of his pals. He's, he's been interviewed by one of his pals. And he said, you don't actually understand the bridges that you're actually building, that you're climbing over, that you yourself said two years ago, you would have never dreamt of doing it. You would have just laughed at it and laughed at it. It would have been inconceivable for you to understand that within, uh, okay, it's, it's quite a long period of time. If you sat watching this thinking, I haven't got two years, I want instant gratification. When you've done 25, 26 years or something and you want to change career paths and you want to teach yourself, um, it's harder to teach an old dog new tricks. It's, it's harder for them to be uh, persevere with it. It's harder for them to keep motivated because there is no end of the light glory that you're going to get other than self-gratification. But today has been, has been very humbling to think that my two young lads can't do nothing but grin, thinking, oh, my dad's going to be on a podcast tonight. He's actually getting interviewed like some kind of rock star. Um, and... and who, who knows, you know, it's the same with your, your career. Who knows where Simon Speaks is going to be in three, four, five years' time? You know, when you look at what podcasts do for people now, and I must I must confess, I was a bit last out, out of the blocks to sit and watch one until now, mm. or say in this era of the last 12 months, and I've listened to all kinds of different podcasts and watched them on YouTube people I've never even heard of. But the subjects that they speak about are what interests me. Yeah. And you don't realise some of these things that people are talking about. You're actually interested in them until you've sat and wasted an hour or two hours of your life and thought, that was brilliant. I really got that conversation. I really took some golden nuggets as such out of it. And I can use them in my own uh, practices or my own speeches or my own... Just, just little bits that you pick up. And I think if you were to sit and listen to the old philosophers, you'd have sat and listened to them for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And then only got little pieces, little nuggets. 
But once you put all them nuggets together, you would have two or three pages of golden nuggets that would see you right for the rest of your life. You just have a pocket full of wisdom. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And and you reminded me of a a little saying that that is every conversation is an opportunity to learn something new. Mm. And sadly, quite a lot of us will avoid conversations because of anxiety levels or um, the attitude we've got or whatever. But when you enter a new conversation, it's a new opportunity to learn something. And, and what I've discovered in my own life in the last few years is rather than shying away from conversations, now go looking for them. Yeah. Because I recognize yeah. that I can learn something. And tonight I've learned several things and, and that's been really beneficial for me. But I think if there's one thing that people, people take away is that it is that perseverance, but it's that willingness to put yourself out there and be willing to learn and, and accept that it's not going to come instantly. But, over time with that consistency and that willingness to look for those conversations and look for those opportunities. There's nothing you can't learn if you're not willing to put, put the price in. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that's true. Um, something now that I sort of over, over, I mean, I, I always kind of had that sort of thought process uh, with the two youngest lads. Um, and, I'm even more sort of dedicated now to keep pushing them, keep pushing them, keep pushing them. Not because I'm trying to um, be authoritative and, and 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 a bit like a dictatorship, sort of being um, like a power, sort of. It's just for them because I know when they, if they respond in the right way and they take note of what's being said and they acknowledge what I'm saying, they also luckily can recognise now that that's. They're moving on in leaps and bounds theirself. As I said, they are just now. They see the next trophy now is we need to be on a podcast because Dad's been on one, and it's, so they're going to, without knowing, are going to be snooping about now. And next, oh, I'm doing a podcast with this gentleman. Oh, so let's have a listen to that. And and that's how the snowball starts moving, isn't it? What does it? And then the other thing, yeah, that's good, Dad. Uh, and, and, and away they go. I mean, they they didn't mock public speaking, but um, they were a bit like, not, not your kettle of fish, that dad. Why? What's been my kettle of fish? Well, you haven't really had a hobby or a kettle of fish for all the time we've known you. So now I'm like a I'm like the crab trying to get out of the bucket type of syndrome. Uh, and every time I'm trying to get out, uh, I'm getting pulled back in. Oh, don't get too confident, Dad, will you? Uh, well, the podcast, you've got TV next, won't you? And I went, well, you never know, do you? You know, if part of the point, you do not, we do not know what opportunity is going to fall into our lap, uh, whether it be a good one, bad one, uh, a sideways move, uh, an up move, down move. We don't know. And we just have to... Uh, uh, grab the bull by the horns or such. I mean, I was really anxious before this started. And now I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't stop this video too long because I'm just getting warmed up now. So I must have to speak for an hour before I actually get really, really relaxed and start to start getting in the flow. I can actually feel myself in the flow now thinking, come on, Simon, where's the rest of the questions for the night? Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, you have to stop. I want to go to bed, Glenn. Do you know what I mean? No, I think it's been great and I, I've, I've enjoyed it. And I think there's been so many things that I think when we listen back on and go over again, 
I think there's a depth of wisdom and, and meaning in there that I'm, I'm looking forward to really getting getting hold of. And like you say, who's to know, you know, who's going to listen to this and, and be inspired by it and want to, to move on. And it's just about spreading those ripples. And I think that's what we've started today. So I'm glad to have given you the opportunity. I'm glad you've taken it. And I'm glad that we've, we've created something that people will learn from. Good. I'm really humbled by it. I'm really humbled. I mean, I think I never used to really think about what effect I could have on somebody else. I didn't think I had, I wouldn't say power because that's, that's a bit of overdramatic in it. But as you say, the ripple effect is, is definitely there in society and it's definitely there in families and it's definitely there with people that put themselves out of their comfort zone and try to do something that, that, that they enjoy and if they also enjoy putting something back into society then I think you do get a lot of karma I think you do get what you deserve because of what you give and you're not looking for anything back you were just looking to uh, help somebody's future you know when we first started we were like debate will we put it onto YouTube well yes because I've got a, a, a young nephew who will be eight uh, next month and he's a YouTube fanatic. Mm. And the very the very part that he can now go down the street and say, no, my granddad's on YouTube a couple of times because I've got a speech from the club on there. I've got some other, a little speech that I did uh, giving somebody some feedback where they put it on. And it's quite amusing because I, <laughs> it's quite amusing when you watch it because you, you, you sort of put your hands over your face and think, oh no, what happened here? I go to look at my watch and say, it's time you sort of approach these people. Only for I've got no watch on my wrist. And he picked up on it straight away. I never, I never even see him. Granted, you haven't even got a watch on. And then you realise I made a mistake. Yeah, I don't know what we're doing there. So it was only when I looked at my skin on my hand, I realised I haven't got a watch on. But... I mean, if he's seen it, so did everybody else. But there's nothing you can do when it's out there in ether, is it? It's gone. It's it's out there. No, and it's never going to be perfect. But all we can do is is try. It's real, though. I think it's real. I think it's real. I think I think I think now, if a positive comes out of this situation where people are online. Uh, we are all going to get used to mistakes. We are all going to get used to things not being 100% right. We're going to get used to people um, in all kinds of dress codes, in all kinds of mannerisms, haircuts, glasses, no glasses, fat, thin, tall. But people are just people. And when people recognise that and don't start being judgmental, then it, it it works a lot better. It just works a lot, lot better. Uh, and I think Zoom does a great job allowing you to be in your own home or in your work, of wherever you work from, and being real. And people can see you being real. And there's things going on in the background sometimes we're not in control of. Your kids come in, somebody interrupts you, the dog's at the door or whatever. But that's real life. And that's what happens on a day-to-day, in an hourly basis in people's life. And I think these interactions are more genuine than what perhaps some of the larger podcasts are where 
as an instrumental income and there's this, but it's a bit more like a hyped up sort of circus. And you can't really relate to, I don't really relate to a lot of that sort of um, stuff that's getting talked about. There's stuff there, don't get me wrong, I don't mean that nastily, but I don't think there's all the need for the ego boosting all the time. I think genuinely listening to people have a discussion um, is, is really what they, where the interest lies and where people are fascinated and people are curious as to, I didn't know that about that guy. I didn't know that about him. I didn't know that had happened to him. I didn't know that he'd had that success or he hadn't had that success or that's what they had to do before they got to where they were or that's what they did, they, they lost or they gained. And it's just, as you say, wisdom is, I don't actually feel I'm very wise, but when people, you tell somebody something and then they don't listen and then 12 months down the line, they come back and go, you know, you were right. I don't, I don't believe you. How could I have been right? I've already seen that many and many of time. How could I be right? I was always trying to give you advice, but we have to, as humans, get the T-shirt as well. We have to make the mistake, get scolded, and then that helps us move on far, far faster than not making the mistake, thinking we were doing it all correct, only to find out five or ten years down the line we were getting it all wrong on a daily basis. No, I think that's that's really good advice, and, and <laughs> you sort of reminded me of, of when I first started this podcast. Um my sister gave me the best piece of advice um, and, and she said, if you're thinking about hesitating and, and worried about starting it, she said, I can guarantee you now the first couple of episodes will be awful. So you might as well just make them and then get to the better ones. <laughs> and and <laughs> I never published the first couple of episodes because they were awful. Um, so episode one is actually about episode three because it, it, I had to make the mistakes first and, and I did and I'm glad I did because now it allows me to talk to more people. And, and the first few interviews I did were very structured, very question-focused. And, and we, I have asked you questions now that we've discussed already, but what I do like about this is it's been more, a lot more organic and we've just been able to chat and the conversation has gone in different directions, but there have been some threads as well that have come through. Um, so I've enjoyed it massively. And, and, you know, I might stick a bit of music on it, but it won't be anything special. The conversation will be the main no, I, no, 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 that's not what I meant. It's, you, you know what I mean. Without without bringing certain podcasts up, they're a bit more hype than what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, true true intellectual conversations. I'm going to use intellectual with brackets around it as such, but um, you get what I'm saying. You can over-dramatise anything, can't you? And I think if you if you've got two kind of normal guys having a normal conversation, that tends to come through as a thread. That tends to come through to the listener, to the viewer, uh, that the honesty is easier easier to do, it's easier to flow with, and it's easier to uh, talk about, it's easier to discuss. It's You feel um, as if you're in the right place at the right time, and, and hence... You know, hopefully, hopefully there's a product that comes from this that helps somebody um, get what they want or start moving in the right direction, if nothing else, because you know, it does come and it, it just takes time. Um, but it will come if you if you want to do it. You can do anything. I, I never believed you could do anything, and you can do anything. And I don't mean that as in 
you can go to the moon and everything else. But if you really, really wanted to go to the moon, you could get yourself to the moon. You know, you, if you've enough desire, you can do anything. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't believe in that, but now I do believe it. I do, I do definitely push that. That if if somebody's enough desire to do something, you can do it. It might not be the right thing. It might be the wrong path. But if they have enough desire, they tend to be able to get to do what they want to do. Mm. Fundamentally agree. And, and I think I always knew that I wanted to talk to people. And I think I always knew that I wanted to do something that involved making people's lives better. But I just didn't know what that looked like. And, and I think mm. I've really wanted to learn. And I've still got a lot to learn. But I, and now I can I can talk to people. And I think that really does matter. And now where that's going to take me or what that's going to involve in, in the rest of my career, I don't know. But I'm just glad I've got to this point now because otherwise I'd have missed out on things like this and so many other conversations that I've had down the years that have really made a difference. Um, so thank you for contributing to, to my ongoing development. And if I can anyway serve yours, then we've done some good tonight. Yes, hopefully. Uh, as my lad says, well, you'll have to... Uh... It'll be, uh, you'll have to be reciprocal when you have your own podcast, Dad, and then you'll be able to invite Simon onto yours. And I said, well, that's an idea, isn't it? I'm not quite ready yet, just yet for that, I don't think. But, hey, you know, it's... I don't know. It's I've, I've really, really, like, uh, really, really enjoyed myself tonight for a Sunday evening where you would normally be thinking, oh, work tomorrow again, as such, back onto Amster Wheel. Uh, it has definitely brought that. I like. I'm, I'm kind of really, uh, really got a buzz out of tonight. As in, it's uh, anxiety's uh, soothed itself and gone away. And yeah, it's been uh, it's been good speaking to you, sir. Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast, with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website, simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Simon Speaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.